From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Clancy Balin. What happens to a community after fossil fuels are phased out? Well, last semester, one of our journalism students pitched a podcast about life after coal in Victoria's coal country. That's in Gippsland, around 160 kilometres east of Melbourne. Now, that idea has become a reality. Josie Hess, along with their friend and collaborator Stephanie Sabrinskis, have launched Coalface, a series that investigates what life after coal will look like in a nation still reliant on fossil fuels. Josie and Steph have strong ties to the area. They grew up there, they currently live there, but only recently found out that both their grandfathers worked at the Hazelwood Power Station, which became the site of the longest-running and largest mine fire in Victoria's history. It burned for 45 days. Today, we present a preview of Episode 2 of Coalface. This is After the Smoke, a deep dive into the Hazelwood mine fire and an activist's fight for the Latrobe Valley. We acknowledge that we live and work on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai Nation and that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that we benefit from the colonial structures and policies that remain in place today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people and recognise their ongoing struggles in dismantling those structures. During the First World War, strikes caused fuel shortages so severe that the Victorian government reopened the old brown coal mine near Morwell in the Latrobe Valley. And the state government has outlined a long-term plan to ensure the Latrobe Valley remains viable as its economy moves away from coal-fired energy. It's been the lifeblood of the Latrobe Valley for decades, but continual change in the power industry and the introduction of the carbon tax means it's time for a plan B. It's a month tomorrow since fire entered the Hazelwood coal mine in Victoria's east. Fire has been burning for weeks now, blanketing the township in a toxic smoke. The housing estates are literally just 50 metres away, so when the wind blows in the other direction, they take all of that in. The guillotine has finally come down on Australia's dirtiest power station, Hazelwood. It scores jitters about electricity prices and raised questions about Australia's readiness for a low-carbon future. We're not going to achieve net zero in the cafes, dinner parties and wine bars of our inner cities. The Latrobe Valley's coal mines could be filled with water and made into a tourist attraction to rival Italy's Lake Como. This is Coalface. Hello. Hi. How are you, Josie? Oh my god, I'm good. I'm having I'm sipping on a uh, weird oat milk cold coffee and I'm feeling like my heart might explode. How are you doing? Uh, I'm delicious. <laughs> You're delicious. That's what? what that drink sounds like anyway. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um I am good. I am sipping on some fizzy water in a can. I'm looking forward to that. burps. That will be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, a little bit of coal knowledge and burps. How have you been this week? This week has been interesting. We were on the radio. Oh my god, were we ever? Also, I don't think I've woken up that early, maybe in my whole life. <laughs> it maybe. wasn't that early. It's much easier for me to just stay awake to get up that yeah. early than to like be awake. But it was, it was like, what an experience to go on the radio and get to talk about, of all things, is it meta to talk about this show on its own self? Kind of a little bit, really. <laughs> I'm Joss like, Whedon. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, it, was, it was kind of a bit weird. And how could I have I forgot? We launched our first episode oh, with yeah. Thunder. We're like, how are things going? Oh, nothing, nothing major. No, we dropped the first episode. The first of this. episode. So, Hell yeah. I think um, we've had positive reception so far. Yeah. No one's left any nasty comments. So, I don't know. Apparently, if you've got one, keep it to yourself or send it to our email at coalfacepodcast at gmail. There we go. I've heard that, like, you don't make it till you get the haters, though. So True. Maybe, like, someone come hate us. Yeah, come, come fight us. This week, we have a super special episode, right? Yes. Well, as we far do. as I hear, you've been all excitedly, like, trying not to tell me, but I know that you're excited. Yes, I know. I'm very excited. I got to talk <laughs> to Wendy Farmer who is an amazing person and told us so much, or told me so much about the Hazelwood mine fire, the inquiries that happened as a result of that. So where do we start? Like, it's such a huge topic. So I think we'll just start at who is Wendy? So I'm I'm Wendy Farmer. I'm president of Voices of the Valley in Latrobe Valley. I'm also a Gippsland campaign of her Friends of the Earth in Yes to Renewables, so for renewable energy. A fun thing about me, I'm not fun. We have a really annoying dog that wants to run out the door every time we open the door. We have two foster children and I have heaps of grandchildren. She's involved in so many groups and her LinkedIn profile is... Mwah. Is it like chef's kiss? Yeah. The thing that stuck kiss. out for me was the uh, the best people in the world are always like, I'm not fun. That's how you know they're fun. Yeah, right? she's got to be like definitely fun and a foster carer. So she cares, which is amazing. That is super um, cool. I only really know Wendy from the Voices of the Valley thing, which I think I found on Facebook. Sure. And it was definitely from back in the day where it was like actually on fire. Yes, yeah, so the, she, the town, I should say, the town. She did a lot of um, media interviews, which you can find online around the time of the Hazelwood mine fire. Uh, and she's also very involved in the Latrobe Health Assembly and is an assembly member. So is like part of being consulted on health concerns for the valley. Her focus is on the health of the people of the Latrobe Valley. Which my understanding is not great. No, not great. <laughs> But yeah, so the Hazelwood Mine Fire in 2014 is going to be the first thing we learn about from Wendy. The Mine Fire is a very important part of her personal narrative because that was kind of like her activation point. There's nothing like glowing embers to kind of like really like activate you into like, yeah. spur you on. We just like smoke. an actual fire. Yes, there's, something is happening and it's <laughs> all right. So, so yeah, let's, let's uh, first hear about Wendy's personal connection to the Latrobe Valley. I was born here. I was born, as they would say, in the Yulon Open Cut. So that was the Yulon Hospital, the town that was dug up for coal. So I've lived here all my life. I did move away after we got married for six months, but the roots were too strong here and I came back. It's an interesting thing that I learned way back when people say, well, if you don't like what you've got, why don't you just leave? I often relate it to a tree, that if you dig up a tree, sometimes it will survive if you move it but you will always leave roots behind. Yeah, so something that really uh, touched me on what Wendy was saying then is that we do hear this thing often, if you don't like it, why don't you just leave? I think that lots of people are very connected to this area and it's not as simple as just saying, if you don't like being near the power station, then move. If it's unhealthy, then just move away. Yeah. Uh, because there is all these not only community connections, but financial reasons that you can't just oh, get away. So I like that she touched on that because I've heard that before. Oh my like, God, yeah, if you don't like it, just leave. There, there was an excellent tweet floating around, I think, the other day that was just like, where do you want me to go, Jan? You want to, like, <laughs> move, like, with my no money into, like, the city? And then, like, but it's also, like, this is where my community is. This is where my family is. Like, where are we supposed to go? Exactly. It's such a, like, I don't know, 
someone has to also make the electricity. Someone has to be here to service the people who make the electricity. It's interesting she was talking about, I don't think she said born in a hole, but she's like born in your lawn or something. I am obsessed with the fact that that town was dug up. Like I love hearing like haunted stories about like the, the it was art deco too. Which it was I, like, so beautiful. Obsessed. And obsessed. we did talk about your lawn. <laughs> so how about we drop on over to that clip? You know, one thing about your lawn that a lot of people don't know and you, you'd probably be aware of is it was it was a town built for the power station. It was state government owned and basically operated in the sense of the residents didn't put gardens in unless they asked for permission. It was an ideal town. It was, a, in a way, a perfect town. Business and or industry worked with the residents, which is what we're seeing a lot more now, actually, when it comes to renewable energy. So the perfect town. The perfect town. And like you've seen the photos, right? Oh my god. Yeah. I obsessively scroll on the internet and look at those photos. They give me why do they make me feel haunted though? Because it's not there anymore. Because it's gone. It was a whole community. It was a whole town and it was really gorgeous. You can see the maps and the houses. I live in an old Yalorn house. Your mum lives in an old Yalorn house. She does, yeah. And And my favorite thing is that they like cut them in half and then put them back together and you get to like archaeology through the house and be like, that's where they cut them. Yeah. Because it was destroyed. Totally. And I don't know if I should say this now or not, because I would love to do a whole episode of Not Season on your lawn and the SEC. And for everyone who doesn't know, the SEC is the State Electricity Commission. So now that we've covered a bit about your lawn, a bit about Wendy's personal connection to the area, let's talk about her connection to the mining industry. Um, so my dad helped build the power station his gra- and my grandfather. My brother, you know, as he grew up, did odd jobs and different things around the power stations as contractor. My husband worked at Yalorn when we first got married. So that was 82. And then went on to Morwell, Briquette and then Hazelwood. So, you know, the power industry for us has been really strong. For him, it's been a good job. It set us up, but things will change. So Wendy, like lots of people in the area, have um, a really strong connection to the mining industry. And just to put the spotlight back over to you, (laughs) Josie, I um, saw in a message from your mum after we did the radio interview that your opa worked at the uh, power station as well, right? Yes. So there's nothing like a podcast for your family to come at you with all the facts that you just, I don't know, didn't pay attention to at the time. But yeah, apparently he's also one of those, you know, plucky immigrants who'd done some... uh, like mining stuff. My mum came at me with the same thing. My opa, who Thanks, was mums. a carpenter, also <laughs> helped build the power station. I was unaware. Like in my mind, I've got yeah. like he took us as a dredger operator because right. he was deaf, and that was like I don't know what like link, right? Yeah, I could remember that, but I thought that was fun that both of our. Yeah, I think of my Oprah as like the guy who had Hugo 2 on PC, not, (laughs) you know, power station guy. So I don't know how that slipped my mind. But yeah, thanks, mum. Yeah, thank you, mum. Also. (laughs) But yeah, I was going to say like Wendy has that classic sort of like multi-generation, you know, take. And it is like like, if you had a dad working in the power station, that's the good job. You're going to have like, you know, a car and like you probably own your house. Yeah. Like that's the fancy job. So uh, amongst all the other things that Wendy does, I asked her about the Latrobe Health Assembly because I didn't know a lot about what that was. So um, the Latrobe Health Assembly was formed after the Hazelwood Mine Fire and they kind of connect all of the smaller health groups um, in the valley 
just so they speak to each other and they can think about the health outcomes that they want to bring So that's forth. the assembly part. Is it a government thing? Yes. It so is. It it, is. they came as a direct result of the Hazelwood Mind Fire inquiries, of which there were four. Just oh going to point that God. out now because <laughs> there were four of them all dealing with different things. And, um, yeah, the Latrobe Health Assembly is one of them. So I asked Wendy about her work with the Latrobe Health Assembly. I would have to go back to when we were calling for, you know, a health innovation zone for Latrobe Valley. And, you know, the fact that we were told that, well, you couldn't do that. And we got it. You know, and it just showed that people power actually could change the way that we look at things, even though it still hasn't really been put into legislation. The Health Assembly was born out of the Health Innovation Zone. It really addresses some of the issues that have been longstanding in Latrobe Valley, and that is the health issues. So we know, for instance, that the guys live, I think it's four and a half years less than the average Victorian or Australian. And then, you know, females might be three years less. And I'd have to exactly check those things but but the lifespan for people that live around Latrobe Valley is definitely less. Now this is report has been reported for many years in the VCOS reports and health reports about the Latrobe Valley. So when the Hazelwood mine fire happened and we saw the massive health impacts there and further to that the inquiries that followed that actually started to talk about the long-term health impact of living near power stations. And so that's how the health assembly really came around. The the need to go, well, we know there's actually something different, but what have we ever done about it? The other thing we found with the inquiries were the fact that we had so many different agencies, but the agencies sitting around the table really didn't know what each other did. So the health assembly is an opportunity to connect all the different agencies together to actually support people. All right, I'm so sorry, but that is the first time I heard that we're going to (laughs) die. So up until this point, I thought I would live forever. I started reading some of the VCOS reports and things like that um, after hearing this because I was like, surely, like, that should be common knowledge. How are they not billboards? Yeah, that is it because they don't want, like, they don't want us to know because Mm -hmm. if you know, then would you want to live here? Would you want to, like... Well, I am a little bit spooked now. I I mean, I... I saw your face. Yeah, the colour drained from my face. I mean, I did know that there was, like, more respiratory issues and a bit more asthma and stuff, but I really didn't know that they'd, like, quantified it down to, like, the years of my life. Yeah, so they have, and um, as uh, what I said to Wendy as well, is that I was acutely aware of the asthma issue because my brother had asthma, and I still haven't fact-checked this, but (laughs) there's, like, the rumours that you hear in high school, such as the the whites of people's eyes in the Latrobe Valley are yellower and that (laughs) optometrists can tell that you live close to a power station and like all these things. So I don't know that that's true, but I'm sure it's rooted in some truth. I think the thing is, right, there is a collective sort of knowledge down here and it's almost like you take it like a sick joke where it's like, ha ha ha, it's so dusty. Like this can't be good. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I think we talked about last time, like just the coal dust on your windowsills and stuff. Like it's yeah. real. And then I guess you're just like, whatever, like how bad can a little bit of, but it's so much dust. It's oh so much dust. And that, that leads me to a fun little anecdote about my garden. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. I've been fighting this disease in my kaffir lime plant. It's had these black spots on it. And I thought it was like this horrible black spot disease. And I've been treating it with neem oil and rubbing it off. But I had a friend over and I <gasps> showed my friend 
the dots and he's like that's just like on the plant oh it's like from your house my god look at the underside of your house and there's like all of these black dust speckles that have gone all over my plant to make it look like so it's just dust it's dust so that and you know i live away from the power station i'm in maui so that's at least you know 11 kilometers yeah, you'd think the dust yeah, less of a thing. And maybe it's just Oh, like that's good. You're going to die with me as well. I was hoping we could die around <laughs> the same time. Well, I don't want to live without you. Look, Josie, we'll, we'll go down on the we'll go down. like those old people. <laughs> oh, just holding hands. Yeah. Oh, my God, that yeah. kills me. <laughs> like, literally kills me. Yeah. But, oh, dude, so it was, it's dust? It's like dust. So, uh, like, it looks like coal dust to me, but my dad reckons it can't be coal dust. Okay, um, so if you're a botanist or whatever it is that people who take care of plants, let us know what's yeah, going on with stress plants. It's like took some off and it's like charcoal dust. That's what it looks like. There is stuff in the air all around us and some of it is the PM2.5 particles, which... Come again, Gesundheit? What? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. I am not smart on science. So what is this? The P, PM2.5 Sounds particles. like a beautiful new, like, tampon or something. <laughs> PM. Try me now. P- well, that would be the <laughs> smallest tampon in the history of the world because the, I, I'm looking at my notes real hard for this because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a PM 2.5 particle is less than 2.5 microns wide. Josie, do you know what a micron is? That is mean. No, I don't. <laughs> it sounds very small. I did not know either. But uh, there is 10,000 microns in a centimeter. <gasps> so it's a lot. How tall, the, like small, not tall, small, Quite the small. particles are. That's crazy. And Wait, so that's what we're breathing in? That is potentially what is in the air. It oh, was geez. definitely in the air during the Hazelwood mine fire. Well, I'm probably not going to move because moving is real hard and I already live here. It and is. I like it. It is hard. But to track us back to where we should be <laughs> Away at. from poo, tiny poo <laughs> particles. Away from um, microns. <laughs> so the Health Assembly, they do a bunch of innovations with early childhood development and with community connectedness and vulnerability and things oh, like touch. that. So, the, But they're also involved in doing studies. So they are doing long-running health studies to check the mental health, the physical health of people in the Latrobe valley and none of that was happening prior to the mine fire so we've got to really have to take things back a bit yeah to the hazelwood mine fire yes okay because that's the thing right like i want to hear all about it because she was wasn't wendy there wendy she was in the town was right? in the town at <sighs> the time <sighs> and this is her like i said moment of activation this right. is her awakening i love that okay let's yeah. go let's go let's go i love it let's hear what she has to say 2014 i remember the day clearly my husband had come home from work he was in bed sleeping when the fire took hold i was standing in my kitchen that's how clearly i remember it with the call to say the fire has got into the mine now this fire, there had been a fire burning two days previously. So on the Friday, it was a really bad day. The weather was bad. There were fires all around. In fact, Newborough was under threat. I never thought Newborough would be under threat from a fire. You know, my friend was saying there, get in the car ready to pack up. I was at work. My daughter was at work in Trelgan. My granddaughter was on, so you would know, opposite um, the BP service station where the fire was running down at the daycare centre. And we were getting calls from the daycare centre to say, you need to come and pick her up. We have to evacuate. We couldn't get through. We were stuck on the Trelgan side of Moorwall and she was on this side. I in the end rang my neighbour and said, can you go and get her? When he went and got her and... He rang me, he said, I've got Sienna, and I just cried. 
just knowing that she was safe because I knew he would never, ever let anything happen to her. So it was clear the fire had started on the Friday. It hit the mine on the Sunday. We got a, I got a call to say all workers needed to be back in at work. Brett was asleep. I went up and said to him, hey, Brett, you've got to wake up. There's a fire in the mine. Everybody's got to get to work. It took him about three hours to get to work that particular day. It was just, you know, and I didn't think much of it. Mine's had fires before. I would never have thought then that it was going to burn for 45 plus days. He he went into work that particular night. There was an explosion. We lost power. And, of course, the social media then was going, oh, there's been explosion. People have died. But that wasn't the point where I actually went, what is happening? It came a little bit later and it came several days later when my husband got sick and was sent home from work and they drove him home and said he wouldn't be allowed back on site for several days he'd inhaled too much carbon monoxide or whatever and he wouldn't be back allowed back in work he went back to work he was working and my daughter rang from melbourne who was an activist and said just to talk to dad how's things going she knew there was a fire but it was classed as a bushfire. People in Melbourne weren't aware because they're used to hearing there's a bushfire in, you know, Gippsland and nothing ever comes of it. She sort of went, what? We're not hearing about it. So she actually came down to the valley and she wrote the first article called The Cult Disaster in the Valley for Red Flag magazine. It was a couple of days later she said to me, Mum, you have to organise a protest. And I've gone, what do you mean, me? What am I going to do? You know, you have to do something, Mum, you have to do something. And that was really where it all started. At that time, the community were just amazing. I mean, the community was suffering. The community was scared. They were looking at their friends. They were looking at their kids. They knew there was a health impact. By this, we've had no government attention and no media, okay? It was a bushfire at Hazelwood. That was it. That We had nothing. Um, we started organising the protest and people were just going, I can give you some money to print, I can print, I can deliver leaflets, I can put leaflets up, I can do this, I can do that. I was never going to speak at that rally. There was a young, um, there were about 1,200 people attend that particular rally and that was a weekend when a lot of people were trying, if you could leave the valley, you left the valley. This particular um, day, a mum, I think she had three kids stood up. They had evacuated to Churchill and living in a motel. And she said, I'm really scared for my kids. In the morning, I had actually read an article in the Herald Sun. The article spoke about Rosemary Lester saying, we don't know what is in the smoke, but if it's bad, don't breathe it. I so wish I still had that article. And I was a bit like, well, don't we have a right to breathe air? <laughs> you know, go inside, close your windows, close your doors. Go out. If it's okay, go outside, open your windows, open your doors if your houses get too smoky. All the houses were smoky, like right across the valley, you could smell it. If you could smell it, you were being impacted. I had actually read the Health Act of 2008 that morning, which said that they had to take the precautionary me measure. If they didn't know what was in the smoke, the smell, they had to take the precautionary measure as a health department and call a state of disaster. So that's, that was on the back of my mind. When this mum had stood up and spoke about her kids and her fears, and I think she was a teacher also, I sort of had my piece of paper and I got up and walked on the stage and they were like, no, 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 because I wasn't sort of that stage, organising the stage. And I said, I have to say this right now. I got up there and I mentioned Rosemary Lester's name and the audience just went, you know, basically, rah, all I can remember is this, I want to kill you right now type thing. And I put my hand up and I said, but wait, we have to 
make them. You know, this is what she said. We have to make it a state um, state of emergency. You know, that we can get help into Latrobe Valley. We didn't ever get it, but that was the moment that I realised that I had a voice as much as I was really shy. And I still don't know how I did it that day. Like I look back on it and I go, how did I actually stand up there in front of those people? I just, one, I was angry. And I think anger sometimes really enforces things to do. Um, Rosemary Lisa had come down several days before and on the Friday afternoon, actually late Friday afternoon, and said we're going to give assistance to those the south side of Morwell, go to the DHS office. DHS office didn't open any later. They were gone. They wanted to get out of the smoke. Like there was no assistance. After we had the meeting, we wanted to march from Kernet Hall to the plaza. As we were getting ready to go, this old lady approached me and she said, my husband's on oxygen. We need help. We don't know where to go. I was just so, how can we leave vulnerable people in such a state without supporting them when we're in Australia? And I was saying then, you know, if this was um, happened overseas, we would have called the Army and the Air Force and anybody in to help and we would have sent aid, but they didn't because it was Latrobe Valley. That was the first part of Coalface Episode 2, created and presented by Josie Hess and Steph Sabrinskis. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you jump onto your favourite podcast feed and check out the rest of their show, or head to coalfacepodcast.com. Coalface has been produced as an accompaniment to their upcoming feature documentary, Life After Coal, so keep an eye out for it. You've been listening to The Yarn, a production from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. Next week, a special co-production with the ABC. Ex-citizen cadet Jordan Beasley charts the story of two scientists on a mission to make the Murray River sing. I'm Clancy Balin. See you next week.